0: You you get desperate for advice. When you get desperate for advice, Crazy Uncle Craig gives you advice. When Crazy Uncle Craig gives you advice, he shares his conspiracy theories with you. When Crazy Uncle Craig shares his conspiracy theories with you, you get really paranoid and wear a tinfoil hat. When you get really paranoid and wear a tinfoil hat, you start to conduct a lot of static electricity. And when you conduct a lot of static electricity... You kill your neighbor's cat. Don't kill your neighbor's cat. Let the Bible change you. I assume I need to say no cats were harmed in the filming of that video. Let the Bible change you. That's today's topic. That's where we're gonna spend our next few minutes. I hope you're having a good time. How many of you are in a small group for 40 days in the word? I'm just curious proportionally. Awesome! Excellent. Exciting! It's been a great week. I've heard some amazing things about what's going on. How many of you know your memory verse? Who wants to come up here to the microphone and say it for everybody? No? No, all the hands just went down. It's amazing, yes. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that was our our verse for last week. Toward the end of the sermon today, I'll throw up the verse for this week, give you a head start on rememberizing it. Now, I know some of us are at different points in it, because you didn't start your workbook until the day you met with your small group. So some of us started last Sunday, so we're like on day seven, and some of us started yesterday, and so we're on day like one or two, right? But that's okay. Okay, maybe it's not by your reaction. That's okay. We're all going through this together, and and I'm excited about it. It's been a great uh, beginning looking forward to what God's going to do through this period of about six weeks where we focus on the same thing, we study some of the same stuff, we learn together, we share what we're learning together. If you haven't gotten to be a part of a small group, it's not too late. We, we have about 10 to 12 of them meeting all during the week, all around, some at the church, some in homes, and if you'd like to, to connect with one, I'd be happy to talk with you after the service is over and point you in that right direction, okay? But today we're going to talk about how the Bible can change us. Now, I love to read. Maybe some of you are the same way. I, love, I have a bunch of books. If you ever been in my office, there's books stacked on shelves, books stacked on tables, books stacked on my desk. It's amazing there's even room for me. I, I, I love to read. I enjoy reading. I, uh, I read a little bit about football. But a lot about other stuff, too. Just just love it. And, and I've read some great books. There are some amazing authors, both both secular books, I, I enjoy fiction, mystery, and that sort of thing, and also some amazing Christian authors, some, some godly men and women who have written either uh, Bible studies or, or accounts of their life or just, just different texts, some amazing things. But if you take all of those books and think about them, there's one book that is unique among all books that have ever been written. And that's the focus of these 40 days we're spending together, that book. Is the Bible. We call it the Word of God. The Bible is an amazing, amazing book. And it has some incredible power. In fact, most of us have, if we look at the cover of the spine of our book, it's not just called the Bible. It's often called the what? The Holy Bible. Holy uh, means, quite literally, set apart or different. And that's really the case about this book, the Bible. It is a different book. It is different than any other book that's been written. As we looked at last week, it is God-breathed. This is the very Word of God. And, And when we think about the Word of God, the Word of God has an incredible amount of power. In fact, everything that is started from the Word of God when God said, Let there be light go to the first pages of the the Bible, the first chapter of Genesis, you see again and again that refrain, and God said. You know what happens when God says something? It happens. You know what happens when I say something? Not the same, right? This book contains, this book is the Word of God. God speaks, and things happen. In fact, the psalmist says in Psalm 33, verse 6, I think this one's going to be up on the screen for us, The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. And and even, you know, when we think about it, the idea of of modern science talks about, I think maybe the generally accepted, if we can say it that way, idea of the creation of everything is called the Big Bang, right? You've heard of the Big Bang theory, not the TV show, but the scientific idea. And I'm okay, With the Big Bang Theory, because you know what the Big Bang requires? A bigger banger. And God is that bigger banger. I'm okay. I mean, we can look. Science also says stuff doesn't come from nothing. That's one of the kind of spontaneous generation years ago. It was kind of a debunked theory. Stuff doesn't come from nothing. And so I'm okay with the idea of the Big Bang, that God stepped up into the the realm of the nothingness of the universe, and spoke, and everything that was came to be. Could you imagine, even as that verse says, all the stars were born, that might have gone bang. And so, the word of God is incredibly powerful. And and, and another verse that that I want us to look at, and this kind of informs what we'll do today, and, and we're really... Over this course of of sermons and over this series of of Sundays, we're going to look at a lot of different verses to try to help us understand. It's not like pick a passage and run through it. But one of the the verses about the Bible that I particularly love is found in Hebrews chapter 4. You may be familiar with this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this, For the Word of God, there's, there's that designation of the Bible. The Bible, the Word of God is living and active. The Bible is alive. The Bible is active. It's energized that it's sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart this book the word of god the bible alive active in your life and what does it do in your life well if you were part of the small group and you watched the video this week with rick warren teaching you know he reminded us the bible isn't given Bible isn't simply given to teach us facts, to improve our knowledge of things. Rather, the Bible was given to change us. And so today we're going to look at how the Bible changes us, how the Word of God, this living and active Word of God, transforms us. I think that'll be very instructive for us. As we said, don't kill your neighbor's cat. Let the Bible change you. Maybe not the best dichotomy, but nonetheless, that's the Bible changes you. Well, one huge way the Bible, the Word of God, changes you is that it gives new life. We call it being born again. We call it salvation. It's called a lot of things. It ultimately means being saved from our sins, forgiven from our sins, and given new life in Jesus Christ. That comes through the Word of God. That comes through what God has revealed to us in this book. James chapter 1, verse 18 says this. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. He chose to give us birth through the word. Now, I think this is, this is incredibly important to, to stop and think about for a minute. Because when we say salvation, when we have this idea of being born again, what I want you to remember, or if, if, if it's something that's new to you, to understand is that what we're talking about, what God does, isn't just clean up the mess you've made of your life. Is there some cleaning up? Yes. But the, the witness of the scriptures is, God doesn't just fix what's broken. He gives you something brand new. It's, it's, it's just totally new. It's not something that's patched up and repaired and said, here, look, I've, I've made better the mess you've made. No, God, the old has passed away. Says, the new has come. we if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And that's pretty important. God gives us this new life. He takes our heart of stone, the heart that's resistant to him, that doesn't listen to him, that doesn't want to do what he says, and gives us instead a heart of flesh. And James tells us all of that happens. He creates, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. The salvation that God offers is the word. Now now that's where in the Bible the, the Bible compares itself to a seed. Jesus even uses some parables where he says uh, the word of God is like a seed that's scattered. And, and sometimes it doesn't do anything. The birds take it away. And sometimes it, it sprouts up real quick, but doesn't last. And sometimes it sprouts up and gets choked out by other things and doesn't last. And sometimes it, it grows deep roots and lush branches and bears fruit ten, a hundred fold. The word of God is, is like a seed. It's like that that needs to go inside and germinate in this. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. The living, again, there's that idea, and the enduring Word of God that, that this book, this alive and active book, the very Word of God, is implanted in us and brings new life to us, Not patching up what's broken, but brand new life. And we are reborn. We are saved. We are regenerate. All of those words mean the same thing. We're new creations in Christ. God uses his word to change us by helping us enter into what we call salvation. And one of my favorite parts about salvation, there's a lot of favorite parts about salvation. I mean, heaven, all in favor say aye. Yeah, heaven, good. Streets of gold, good thing. Gates of a pearl. This fourteen hundred mile cube city that, that lasts forever and ever, no more sick. Oh, that's great. You don't want to favorite parts about what God does through His Word is He takes away our guilt. Romans chapter eight verse one says this: "There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus." Man, that is that is so amazing. And, and true confession time. We preacher types need to read that more often than we do. Because the church, as I've said before, has majored at times in its history in guilt. We've loved to make you feel guilty about things so that you'll do things for us. Not just our kids, but, you know, that's how we do it, right? And the Bible says when you're in Christ, there's now therefore no condemnation. Go all psychological and for a few minutes on it. Some people differentiate between true guilt and false guilt what's true guilt true guilt is you did something wrong and you feel bad you did something wrong that's that's good that is the kind of thing when you do something wrong and you realize that actually the conviction of god through his holy spirit can convict you of that and then you want to make changes that's good but false guilt false guilt is where you just kind of wallow in that place and allow it to overtake you it's not really because you've done anything wrong, you just kind of feel guilty, and people can use that, and churches at times have used that to manipulate people. I think sometimes contrary to what Scripture says, Scripture says now, as we just read, there's no condemnation, even when you have those things that you should feel guilty about because you've done something wrong, you've sinned, First John 1, 9, great verse says what? If we confess our sins, if we agree with God, God, I have messed up i sinned you told me not to lie and i lied you told me not to steal and i stole you told me not to lust and i lusted whatever it is if we confess our sins say the same thing as god about our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness all unrighteousness how much is all Something and you say it's all gone. How much is left? Nothing. And the Bible says we are cleansed from all unrighteousness. I love the the way it describes God. It says God is faithful and just. Don't miss those two words. What does it mean? God is faithful. I think it means God does it every time. God makes a promise. If you confess, I'll forgive. And if you confess, because God is faithful and can't break His word. Every time you confess before him every time he forgives he is faithful to forgive if you follow the instructions in his word but not only is he faithful to forgive here's another part he's faithful and just to forgive just means justice it tells us God has the right to forgive God can rightly forgive God's justice is fulfilled when he forgives when you confess God can forgive Because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. And when we place our faith in Him, when we trust Him for salvation, when we're made brand new, we are completely forgiven every time we ask and God's justice has been satisfied because He poured out His wrath of sin upon the cross of Jesus Christ. God is faithful. God is just to forgive us. And so, We don't have to live under guilt. We don't have to live under condemnation. We are free from that in Christ. We can live our lives as brand new creatures. Will we sin again? How many of you sinned this morning? Anybody want to do two confessions? I have a microphone again. Yep. If you're getting ready for church with your family, you have probably sinned this morning. Just kind of a given. Family might mean kids. It might just mean that fella. But that's another story. We do it all the time. But the the, the remedy God provides, if we confess, he is faithful and just. You, know, you walked in this morning and, and you may have seen the, the, the trays on the table here. If you're familiar with that, maybe here at other places, you know this is the elements. These are the elements of the Lord's Supper. Why do we the Lord's Supper? One of the reasons we do is because Jesus says we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Why do we proclaim his death? Why do we hang a cross up on the wall? Why is there a cross from the steeples? Why, when you go just about anywhere for Christian, uh, into a Christian facility, do you see crosses everywhere? Why do we remember the cross? Because on the cross, and by what happened through the death of Jesus on the cross, our salvation So we're going to do something different and take the Lord's Supper in the middle of the sermon. See, I'm warning you, because a lot of you, if you've been here before, you know the supper is usually at the end of the sermon. You'll be like, wow, it's like quarter till, and we're taking the supper. This is a miracle. God is at work in this place. And you thought we were going to go home early. No! Don't think that. I got more to say. But it seems appropriate when we're talking about what God has done giving us new life and in taking away our guilt to remember the means by which he did that, the broken body and the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to take these elements now and invite our deacons to come on up and get ready to do this so we can practically and tangibly put this truth in front of us that today we, we relish in what God has done for us through his son. We worship at his table. Because only by the death and resurrection of christ can we be freed from our sin and freed from the guilt that often kind of jumps on our i might have thought oh the preacher forgot to play music during the lord's supper but i didn't and here's why i had a couple reasons one we just talked about guilt and here's what i know in my own life because i'm really good at this i can manufacture in a religious setting, and some, for some reason, sometimes around the Lord's Supper, to my mind, sometimes it's flooded. How unworthy I am! But, oh, I don't know. Should I do this? And I start. I start quoting scripture in my head, like, "Oh, the Bible says if you take it in an unworthy manner, people died because of that." It really says that in the same passage of scripture. And I start thinking, that, "Well, you know, what if I haven't confessed all my sins? What if I haven't done this?" I start thinking. I'm not going to ask for volunteers, but I would guess. Those silent moments, your mind starts to go those places. Your mind starts to, dare I say, feel a little guilt. But, what did you just learn? How much condemnation is there for those who are in Christ Jesus? None. And here's, here's what I want you to know. If that happened to you today, if that happens to you this afternoon, if that happens to you next Tuesday, there is one source for that called the enemy. He's called Satan. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He is the one that tries to convince you that all that you've done somehow, God can't possibly forgive that. God can't possibly. You have to bear some of the burden for yourself. Those are all lies from the enemy. The truth comes in this book, the word of God, because God cannot lie. And he says, when you're in Christ Jesus, when you've received the gift of salvation, placed your faith in him, have been given the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, there is no condemnation in store for you. God has forgiven you. God has redeemed you. God has adopted you as his child. And all of that, even as we've seen, comes through the work of the Word of God. The, the written Word, but also Jesus himself is called the Word of God. His work on your behalf and in your Condemnation, no guilt. The word of God is incredibly alive and active in those ways. But, but I want you to notice some, some few other things as we go forward. Another way the Bible works, another way the Bible has an impact in changing you is it energizes your faith. It, it gives pep to those things you believe. In fact, uh, the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 17, says this. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing... Word of God. If you were in the, the small group, you pr- you practiced the pronounce it method, didn't you? I, I like that for a lot of reasons. Basically, if you weren't familiar with that, what we, we did this week is took a verse of scripture, and repeated it over and over by emphasizing a different word. For example, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So then faith comes by hearing. So then. Say it out loud. Now, if you're, maybe I'm familiar with that, and it's new to you. it probably felt a little weird. It was a little hard. You're like, I can just say it in my head. But what does this verse say? What's that word, the last word of the first line? Faith comes by hearing. There's something about engaging more of your senses in absorbing the word of God. If you say that verse, you're, you're using your, your mouth to form the words. You're using your eyes to words on the page. You're using your mind to kind of process that. You're using your ears to hear it. Think about all the ways just by speaking a verse of Scripture out loud, it comes, you you interact with it. There's power to those things. And so faith comes by hearing what we're doing today in in services like this and all across the world. People are hearing the Word of God. There's there's a dynamic to that. that. Hearing the Word of God activates, energizes our faith. And boy, do we have you noticed life is hard sometimes life is really 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 hard now now God promises for those who are his children to be with us I'll be with you always I will never leave you nor forsake you great promises See, I've just you just heard the word of God some of you might have needed to hear that some of you in this room might have thought God feels so far away you need to have that hearing of the word of God come and say hey wait no says, God's word says, he never leaves me. God's word says, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. All of that activates, energizes, grows our faith. And and what God is great at is making us kind of take take that in steps. In fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, you look at the book of Exodus, and I'm not going to take time to to read the verses in particular, but God is is talking to Joshua, who's going to succeed Moses. He's going to be the leader of Israel when they go into the promised land. He's going to be the one that actually has to to be the battle general to fight all these different peoples for this former group of slaves. And he tells Joshua in Exodus 23 that he's going to help him little by little because you're not ready to be general and, and conquer the whole land the first day. But little by little, you'll grow until you're able to handle that responsibility. That's what God does with you. Little by little, your faith is energized as you read, as you hear, as you study the Word of God. It's a beautiful thing. And then it stimulates you to grow. As your faith is energized, you kind of grow up, spiritually speaking. Acts chapter 20, verse 32, says this, I commit you to God and to the Word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified, which can build you up Little by little built up. But I love the second part of that. And give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now let's pretend for a minute. You are the child of a Mr. Bill Gates. You may have heard of him. That whole Microsoft thing. You are his child. You're his heir. And something tragic happens. Bill Gates, as happens to everybody who ever lived, one day he will die. And when he dies, he will have left a will. But you decide never to read Bill Gates, your father's will. How smart is that? I got a word for you. It's stupid. It's really dumb. Bill Gates. Listen, your father, he puts Bill Gates to shame. And uh, let's just say this is the will that says, What is your inheritance? It's in here. It's like Prego, it's in there. Read it, study it. Just as it would be foolish not to read the will of your wealthy. if you were Bill Gates, son, how much more foolish is is it for us as God's children not to open the book and read what he has left as our inheritance? Joint heirs with Jesus Christ, it says. It builds us up. It gives us an inheritance. What an amazing thing. In fact, we looked at a verse last week that tells us how it helps us grow, how it builds us up. It's that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at it real quick because it it kind of gives us some steps. It says all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for those four things. It's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. Now, let's just stop right there. What does that mean? Let's just kind of look at it. Somebody outlined it this way. I think it might have even been Rick Warren outlined it this way. What is teaching? Teaching is here is the path you should go on. We need to know the path for helping us know this is the path your life should take this is the way that you should go this is the way walk in it in fact it says elsewhere in scripture what's rebuking dude you got off the path and you got in the ditch that's rebuking get out of the ditch we need to know that sometimes oh I'm off the path I've fallen in the the bible says don't do that that's not good for you you ought not do that what is correcting Correcting is, okay, here's how to get out of the ditch and back on the path. You found yourself in the ditch. Here's what you need to do. Now you're back on the path. That's helpful to know, isn't it? And training. Training is, here's how to stay on the path. You've fallen in the ditch. You know, that's no fun. Here's how to stay on the right path. The Bible is useful for all of those things. To teach you what the path is, to, to rebuke you when you get off the path to correct you to get back on the path, and to help you stay on the path long term, so that, the next verse says, the person of God, the man or woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This Bible, the Word of God, helps activate our faith so that we can grow, so that we can be built up, so that we can move forward in following God. And in part of the way it does that is by illuminating Psalm 119 is an incredible passage of Scripture, the longest chapter in the Bible. And you know what the subject of Psalm 119 is? The Bible, the Word of God. All those verses in the longest chapter. It's actually a Hebrew poem. It's a poem that starts with the, the Hebrew alphabet. The first stanza starts with the Hebrew letter A. The second stanza starts with the Hebrew letter B. In fact, some Bibles have it organized that way. And it shows from Aleph the Tav. Bible is good in everything. We'd say A to Z. Or A to Z. This is why you should follow the Bible. A couple verses from that, that that tell us, a couple that maybe you even know. Psalm 119 verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet. say, your word is an app to my feet, I guess, I don't know, you know, you push that button, you got, now, now, that's good, it's good to know, if you're in a dark place, is it good to have a little bit of light, a few years ago, I've mentioned this before, some of us ran, it's called the Ragnar Relay, it went from, um, where'd it go from, Somewhere keep Key Biscayne, yeah, 200 miles all the way to Key West, now we didn't run it all week, there were 12 of us on the team, One of the things, one of my legs, actually all of us had to run at night. One of my legs was at like 3 in the morning. Do you know how dark it is down around mile marker 61 at 3 in the morning? It's dark. And and you're supposed to wear a little headlamp. And, you know, when you, when you turn it on and you turn, oh, wow, that's bright, right? But when you put it on your head and start running down a path at 3 in the morning, It's bright, it's not very bright. In fact, a few of the places we ran, we'd run like you know the old bridges. We don't try not to run on the highway. they put us on those old bridges that pass through. And you know if you're running along. Apparently people fish on those old bridges at night. And the people that fish on those old bridges at night don't expect dummies like me to come running through at three in the morning with a little headlamp on their head. And they're, they're over there and they've got like their fishing poles leaning up against the rail. Halfway out, so it was like I was like O.J. Simpson. I'm not allowed to say him anymore. O.J. Simpson in the airport, hurling those fish. I couldn't see him till the last minute. I'm like, I'm running. Whoa, there I go. It was ugly. Try not to picture that too much. But that's what it was like. And I was grateful I had a little bit of light because if I didn't have that light, I would have never seen the obstacles in my path. I would have tripped over the cooler or the fishing pole or whatever else was in the way. Because it was. Did I mention how dark it? Life is hard, and sometimes we don't know what's ahead. We can't guess even. And the Bible is that light and lamp for us that illuminates. But notice how far does it illuminate, a a typical flashlight, just a little bit. How do you get more illumination? Take another step. I would have loved to have had a headlamp that illuminated all three miles of my run. That's called the sun. But it's a little hard to strap that on your head, right? Pretty dangerous, even. I would have loved to have been able to see everything, but I couldn't. All I could see was a few feet in front of me. The only way I could see what was next was to take that next step. And sometimes in following God, it's the same way. God gives you that light through his word for the next step you might say, God, I want to know like the next five years. Give me a five-year plan so that for the next five years I know exactly what I'm supposed to do and when I'm supposed to do it and where I'm supposed to go and all that. God doesn't work that way. God gives us enough light, enough revelation, sometimes for just the next step, and waits for us to be faithful in taking that step before he illumines the one after that and the one after that and the one after that. How does he do it? Through his word. You're in the dark about something, you don't know what's next. I'm going to suggest God in his word and open it and read it and see if you don't find that this is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Our memory verse this week is, is right out of Psalm 119, verse 18. It says this is a prayer where we can pray. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. That's our, that's our memory verse. Open my eyes. We're going to just memorize that and actually pray that. God, open my eyes. I want to see wonderful things in your law. I need that little bit of illumination for the next day. Power for the next minute, help me to see these wonderful things in your law. And that's really, you know, of course all of us want to kind of relish in the in the power of the Word of God, the fact that it's alive and active, the fact that it brings brand new life and, and frees us from our guilt and, and energizes our faith and spurs our growth and illumines our mind to what's next. But how do we get that? Three steps, and then I'm going to be done. First thing, what we're doing, you learn it. Want all of these benefits. If you want the Word of God to change you, one thing you've got to do is learn it. You've got to spend some time in it. You've got to spend some time reading it. You've got to spend some time studying it. Jesus says in Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 12, verse 24. Jesus said, Your trouble is. Well, I'll use this version. Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know not the scriptures nor the power of God. You don't know what your I got problems you know here's what i think this says your problem is not really your problem your problem isn't really your circumstance because i'm going to guess most of us might be in some troubling circumstances we're not the first ones that ever faced those and we're not going to be the last ones that ever faced those you know what often our problem really is it's how we react to our circumstances have you ever had a tough circumstance that you reacted to and it made it worse do and often this is what we think and this is how i would handle it and you do what you think you should do and the bible talks about that it says there is a way that seems right to a man and the end thereof is death how's that for encouragement the heart Follow your heart, you get in trouble. Because your heart often tells you the wrong thing. There are many people in our world that followed their heart. And the result is all sorts of heartache. In fact, people tell you today, follow your heart. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. Now there's a lot about the heart in the Bible, isn't there? Yes, you know what it usually says? Give your whole heart to God. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Right? Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Because here's what God knows. God was there in the beginning and made your heart. When it was not marred by sin. But everybody that's ever lived since the garden, since Adam and Eve, their heart is marred by sin. And your heart will lead you astray. But God delight yourself in him, it's not that he'll give you the things you want. God, I really want a new Lincoln Navigator. And I'm delighting in you, God, and you're going to give me a new Lincoln Navigator. Amen. Doesn't that sound great? You could build a church on that. Not really. No, I don't think that's what it means at all. I think it means when you delight yourself in the Lord, you realize what you want isn't so much a new seek him with all your heart, Jeremiah says, you will find him. And so, when your heart is right, its desires are right. And when its desires are right, and you seek God for those desires, then he'll give it to you. But if you say, I'm going to do what I feel, you're in a world of hurt. The problem is you don't know the scripture, so you've got to learn it. You know, I believe. Both of those things are sort of parallel. Anything you face in life, there are principles in the Word of God to help you successfully navigate whatever the circumstance is. But if you don't know what it says, if you don't know what's in it, when you get to those circumstances, how in the world are you going to navigate it? You've got to learn it. You've got to spend time reading it, which is what we're doing for 40 days. Not only that, this is the harder part. You have to accept it as the authority. I don't like sometimes what I read in this book. I just have to be honest that way. I read it. Like, okay, God, I have a problem. What does this say? Oh, really? I'm supposed to forgive? God, you don't know what they did to me. And and if I forgive them, they won't care. to learning it, we've got to accept it as our authority. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 says this, when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accept it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. That when we accept it for what it is, and take it as the authority, that makes a difference. It's not just reading it for historical knowledge. It's looking to it as, as that which God has inspired. It's not fables and I can take this out and take that out. as I said last week. If you do that, if you read this part of the Bible and says, I want that, if you read this part of the Bible and says I don't like that one so much, you don't really believe the Bible. You believe yourself. And you make the Bible fit where you want to go. We accept the Bible as the authority. the video, one of the most impactful things I think Rick Warren said in our first week video was this. You only believe the parts of the Bible that you actually do. Oh, well, I believe the Bible. We say that. The Bible says you believe that. Oh, yeah, I believe it. Well, do you do it? Um, well, no, there's some reasons. Well, then you don't really believe it. That's humbling. If you also remember what he said was this. He just problem as Christians isn't there's really difficult parts of the Bible we don't understand. More often our problem as Christians is we don't actually obey the parts of the Bible we already know. If we spent some time, I, one day I'm just going to do this. I don't know if it'll be on a Sunday or some other day. It's just get some folks together and just write down all the verses we've got memorized. I'm looking out at a pretty knowledgeable crowd. There's a lot of you that have been a part of Bible studies and a part of of, of churches and have done some homework, and if we were just to write down, what are some verses you've memorized? Think about, I mean, I, I don't know if we'll get the whole thing, but we'd get a bunch of this book down on paper, and that's pretty impressive, and if we, as God's people, if all we endeavored to do was just put into practice those verses we've memorized, places i've memorized i can quote them chapter and verse but when life you know push comes to shove uh, i might not be so quick to do it john chapter 13 verse 17 says now that you know these things you will be blessed who wants to be blessed amen good you will be blessed if you write them in a notebook. it can take someone who is dead in sin and apart from God and make them a brand new creation. Make them a child of God and give them the eternal hope of heaven. That it can take all the sin that I have in my life and wash me clean enough I don't have to, to wallow in guilt about. It. That that this word of God can speak to me in a way that would do that. That it would, it would grow myself. Fa- the next step, illumine my mind to know those are some amazing benefits of just allowing the Bible into our life and allowing it to change us. but as we've seen probably even in the first week of this study there's a lot of things where we have to let that happen we have to choose that to happen we have to not just learn it really kind of the challenge will you do what it says will you allow the bible to change your life by simply doing what it says now for some of you if you're here today and you've never received the gift of salvation one of the things you can do that the bible says is place your faith in jesus christ whosoever calls upon the name of the lord shall be saved if you've never trusted christ you can take a step of doing by doing that. I would love the opportunity to talk with you and pray with you. Today, and that's why I stand at the front as our, as our musicians come and play and sing. To have that opportunity to pray with people that may have that decision to make, that want to follow Christ, want to receive the new life that only He can offer through His death and resurrection. And if you would like to make that decision today, I, I'm going to invite you as we sing in just a minute just to come forward and talk with me. I know that's not easy. I know it's intimidating. But, but it is a life may be others of you that have other decisions that you're weighing with. Maybe for some of us who've been Christians already, we know that verse, we know that principle that God keeps hammering home in our mind. We know he's given us the light for the next step. We're just having a hard time putting one foot in front of the other. Maybe today you want to spend this time of response saying, okay, God, I I hear you. I hear you. Help me do it. I don't want to be a hearer. I want to be a doer as well. You can do that. You can where you're seated. Maybe kneel at your seat. If you want to come and kneel at the altar, again, I'll be at the front. I'd be happy to pray with anyone, even in those things. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite our our band and our singers to come on up. I'm going to pray and then you can respond however God may prompt your heart. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in you we can have life and hope and salvation. I thank you as well that you have given us your word. You are the living word, and we have the written word, the very breath of God, the instruction that is alive and active and can be alive and active in our lives. And I pray today, Lord, it would prove living and active among us. May we be sensitive to the still, small voice of your Holy Spirit as, as he prompts us, even today, even in this moment, to put into practice the things you're, you're illuminating to our minds. Lord, we give you these next moments. You have your way.